0: again back in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 looking at verses 20 and 21 2nd Corinthians 12 20 and 21 a section actually that goes from verse 20 all the way to verse 14 of chapter 13 that uh, I call the process of sanctification process of sanctification that's Multiple steps through here and we are in step one. Please follow in the reading of the word of God. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips. Arrogance, disturbances, and I'm afraid that when I come again, my Lord may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and have not repented of the impurity and immorality and sensuality which they have practiced. Father, help us to hear. Help us to understand this section. Father, as we come to the end of this letter... May we understand that this isn't to be just glossed over as the conclusion of a letter. This is a pastor's heart poured out before us. Father, when we think about us the war that rages, that is spiritual, truth against a lie, Father, um, let us not be taken prisoner. Father, let us hear what these words say. Father, let us bow before your ways father may we uh, embrace and rejoice at the process of sanctification we love you and thank you Christ and Christ alone amen what this two section here in 20 and 21 is is basically step one of sanctification is repentance okay and this is after salvation it takes repentance To come to salvation, but after you become saved, then as you grow in the grace of Jesus Christ and the understanding the true knowledge of who He is, you will also understand sanctification. And there's times that He will confront you and you will have to deal with it. And He gives you the power to deal with it. It's sort of like what we were talking about in Sunday school. He's not this ogre in heaven trying to be mean. He's doing it for our safety, our protection, and our strengthening, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, Satan's number one goal in spiritual warfare is to keep you stupid. Because if I keep you not knowing, then you're useless. But as we grow and we know a little more, uh, we become more and more valuable. That's one of the things we have to watch out for. Okay, so one step one that we have to look at in sanctification is repentance, is repentance, is repentance. It is adamant here that Paul is calling for it. There had been some, a lot of sin in the church in Corinth. Some had repented. But he also understood that the false teachers were still there. False teachers will play on sensuality. They will play on your senses. Okay? They will do things and teach things that will uh, entice the flesh. And they'll do it in the name of the Lord. And we've got to be so, so on guard for this. The problems were listed out there and the problems that they cause come in two containers, basically two situations. One is in between two people and then the other one is personal. So between you know a congregation, you can have um, strife, you can have jealousy, you can have anger, you can have disputes, slanders, gossip... Arrogance and disturbances. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that difficult times will come in the end. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, dishonest, and and, and it just goes down. And that lovers of self, as Charles Spurgeon would say, is the sewer pipe that the rest of it comes pouring out of. And Paul's telling Timothy that the church, people in the church will be like this. Part of the reason that that happens is because the war, spiritual warfare is simple. It's not what everybody says it is. It is truth against the lie. That is the essence of spiritual warfare. It is a war for your mind, for your thinking. Paul told the Romans, renew your mind. Okay? And the reason is that you can be on guard. You can be on guard. So we looked at the problems... Today, I want to conclude just this step one is in the middle of verse 21 there. I'm afraid that when I come again, my Lord will humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented. Okay, this is the pain of unrepentant sin, the pain of unrepentant sin. We saw the problems that it causes. But now we're going to look at the pain that it causes. When I look at a text, you have to understand something. I'm looking at it as from a pastor's viewpoint. OK, I look at the Apostle Paul and I see a pastor. I see a shepherd and and, and that. So when I look at it, but as a believer, OK, as a pastor and as a believer, you cannot expect people to be sinless. We are in these earthen vessels. Hey, this is not what this text is saying. You know, if if a person... The issue here is not the person sinning. The issue is the person not repenting. Alright? That's the issue. Okay, And you know what? You're going to run into people, you're not going to believe this, that are constantly repenting over the same sin. Okay? But that's alright, as long as they're repenting. You don't take them out and shoot them. Okay? But you help them. When one does sin, the heart yearns for repentance. For repentance. Chapter 6, verse 1 of the letter to the Galatians. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass. I like the way he phrases that. He's caught. It's a snare. All right? He's caught in a trespass. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? When people, listen, people will bash people with the word repent. Okay. Repentance is for restoration. We we always say, "I, I want to make your relationship with Christ stronger. And part of being stronger is repentance. All right? That's why we pray for the saints. That's why we pray for one another. Because we exhort And we call people to repent. If you grew up in a Baptist church or you spent time in a Baptist church, a thing that they are noted for is an altar call. Okay? And basically, you know, come up and make a decision for Christ or whatever that you're dealing with. But they always have it. Because I've had people got mad and says, Well, you can't be Baptist. You don't have an altar call. Well, I have an altar call when the text lends itself to it. I don't try to force a salvation call with every text that I teach, because it's not in there. But I never have had a Bible study or a sermon that I am not calling for some kind of action, some kind of change. Now, I may not call you publicly and say, get up here and repent. Okay? I'm not going to do that. But I will. I am always, everything I teach and preach... It's for change. It's for change. I want you stronger. Every one of you stronger. I want you to be able to fight Satan. I want you to be able to recognize the lie. I am always calling for change. I'm always calling you, every one of us, for a clarity of what it is we are here for. I don't want you to be comfortable in this world. I want you to be comfortable in heaven. I'm trying to prepare you for heaven. I'm not trying to prepare you for this world. Here, Paul, he makes a statement back in our text. I'm afraid. He was afraid that when he came back to Corinth, he would find many who had sinned in the past non-repentant. And it scared him. It scared him. That word, that phrase that you see there is a perfect tense participle. Now you feel great, right? I've always wondered where the perfect tense participle was. It's right there. I'm afraid that those who have sinned in the past. I'm afraid of that. Those who had sinned in the past. right, They had done it in the past. It refers to those who sinned. And it had begun before Christ, but now it continues in the presence. That's the phrasing that is there. It describes those who were continuing in sin and they refused to repent. All right? And listen the flesh is a, an intense adversary you are outgunned when it comes to your flesh. If you do not have divine power of the Holy Spirit, you can't beat your flesh. All right? I don't care how much you do it. And and, and you've got to just... There's time... See, there are people out there who will teach you to entertain your flesh. It's fine. Okay? You're saved. Because I've watched people pervert texts that are mind-boggling. I shared last Sunday night on homosexuality and there are people teaching Romans chapter 1 about men giving over to men, women getting rid of the natural functions of their bodies and but Paul's not he's he's not against homosexuality. He just wants it to be a relationship that's monogamous. And that's how they're trying to teach that. And I'm like, "Dude, wait a minute. You can't do that." That's that's yoga. Why? Let's let's embrace the homosexuals. Why? Why don't you call them to repentance? I mean, the Bible is Adam and you do not have uh, that. This is mind numbing to me. You're like what? Jim Packard, J.I. Packard left the Anglican church because they wanted to discuss it. They just they wanted to have a conference on how to deal with homosexuality in the church. And Packard says, I'm leaving. That isn't even we don't even need to discuss that. That's a done deal. And you're like, wow, there you go. Uh, You guys just run off the smartest man in your church. But these are kinds of things that, that are out there now that you listen to people because I hear people. Well, if I hit the lotto. Then I'll give a bunch of it to the church, and you're sitting there going, "You know, it's gambling, right? It's sort of like uh, fantasy football. Uh, You know, uh, we're going to decide whether that's gambling." Well, let me tell you something: you put money into a pot, and you win enough scores that you get that money. I don't care what you call it, but it's gambling, all right. But I know churches right now who has men's group. Who have a fantasy football league. Listen, it's gambling. Alright? God doesn't gamble. God doesn't need to gamble. Alright? So, please be aware of some of the stuff that's all over the place. That they try to say, well, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it is. It stops your sanctification. You start breaking fellowship with the Lord. And you come to a screeching halt. You know what else you're doing? You're setting yourself up to be devoured by the devil. He travels around like a roaring lion. Right? Looking for those he can devour, Peter said. That's amazing stuff. And yet, we don't have the strength at time to stand against it. Okay, so these people that he's afraid he's going to run into, who are refusing to repent, that he may find when he goes back to Corinth would affect him in two ways. You see him right there, okay? One is that he'll be humiliated, okay? When I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, okay? Now listen, Paul's credibility was at stake. The false teachers were attacking him, saying that he was not true. All right. In chapter three, verse two, you are our letter written on our heart, known and read by all men. All right. Do you understand what he just said there? These people would bring these letters of recommendation. Paul says, you're my letter. Okay. But know what he says there. It's read by all men. People look at the congregation and say, what kind of church is that? What kind of church is that? All right. Look at some of the churches today. You can look at them and they look just like the world. So why would I get up early on Sunday morning to go do exactly what the world's doing? Right. Okay. Now, the the tragedy is the shepherds aren't humiliated by it. They think they're being successful. Conforming people into the image of the world. And they're not ashamed. Alright? Paul was afraid to have this church in Corinth that Paul had loved. He had led these people. He had grown these people. He had shepherded these people. He had taught these people. He was nearly there for almost two years. And have them be known for unrepentant sin... Okay, I mean, in the first letter, he says that you guys are boasting that a man has his father's wife. He says, even the pagans don't do that. And you're boasting on it. The Lord's table had become a time to get drunk. They would have... Lunches, potlucks, whatever you want to call it. The rich people could get out of work early and they would eat all the good food and leave nothing but crumbs for those who had not gotten there on time. So many things. They had perverted spiritual gifts. Think about that. This caused the apostle shame. And that alone would give his critics ammunition that Paul wasn't real. Paul, you ain't real. Look at these people. They looked just like pagans. There was no organization in their worship service. Everybody was getting up and speaking in ecstatic languages. And he says that even an unbeliever, an outsider comes into the church, he will think you're all nuts. And it's, it's that way today. Sorry. Okay? So we need to hear this well. See, Paul understood the importance of humility. Remember in chapter 12, verses 7 to 10? The surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness and with insults and distresses and persecutions with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay. He understood humility. Okay. But it's one thing to be humbled by God. All right. It's another thing to be humiliated by a bunch of Corinthians with non-repentance in their hearts. That's something else. Unrepentant sin in a congregation is probably uh, the single most discouraging thing for a pastor, to say the least. You feel like you're, you're wasting time. All right? It crushes the pastor. It crushes, it robs the pastor of his strength. And if it's not dealt with, it will drive the pastor out of the church. It's that simple. Jesus said it himself. called the seven churches of Asia Minor. Five of them he called to repentance. All right? Or I will what? I will remove my lampstand. Okay, you know what a lampstand is, right? The thing that holds up the light. Who would that be in the church? Or when he, he, he writes a letter to the angel of the church of where and everybody says, see, there's an angel guarding the church. No, it's a messenger who's the messenger in the church. OK, and if you don't repent. You'll still have light, but it'll be sitting down on the ground. And a light sitting down on the ground just really is not that effective. Because it unrepentant sin in the body of Christ Will crush a pastor. Crush a pastor. You know what? In my life in ministry, I have actually seen unrepentant sin in congregations drive the man out of the ministry. They quit altogether, they were crushed. I know uh, five or six guys that left the ministry because of the church's unrepentant sin. It's tough. It's tough. You're trying to help people be conformed into the image of Christ. You do it by giving them the word and fervent prayer. All right? And yet people will rebel against it. And when they rebel against it, at some point in time, it takes enough energy out of the shepherd that the shepherd says, you know what? Enough is enough. Paul was anxious about what he would find when he went back to Corinth. And he didn't want to be humiliated. He didn't want that. Alright? Second thing that you see happens in the pain of unrepentant sin is I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented. Mourn. There's a sorrow. There's a sorrow to the Apostle Paul. You know what? It's kind of weird here because... You think about the Apostle Paul, what he had done in this city, and he literally turned the city upside down. And these people had been in the darkness, were now in the light. And you know what? He didn't write here that I'm going to be angry at those who refuse to repent. All right? Because we we, every once in a while, you deal with somebody long enough, you get a little fed up with them, says, yeah, you're an idiot, and you walk away. Okay? Paul didn't do that. He said he would mourn. He would mourn. Pentheo. Pentheo is the word. Mourn. And it's lamenting that comes from a deep sorrow. Grief. Listen, this isn't somebody who's sad. Okay? This is way deeper than this. This, the, The word that we translated into English, mourn. It's a good word, because that's what we do at a funeral. And that's the depth of anguish that it is encompassing. Unrepentant sin causes an anguish in the shepherd. Paul was sick at his heart about this. In chapter 7, verse 6, But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He was depressed at what was going on in the Corinthian church. He was sick. Listen, he had a dreading sorrow. Now think about that for a second. The church that he had poured himself into for two years, he had this fearful sorrow. That he had to go back there and find out these people hadn't changed, and he was afraid he would experience it again if he found unrepentant Corinth, unrepentant Corinth. Now listen, I want you to understand what I'm saying here. It doesn't mean sinless Corinth, but it's like First John one nine. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Right? Alright? To confess my sin means that I'm in agreement that this is sin. Okay? That's one of the things that I have watched that the church has done. We've kind of uh, gotten away from the word repent. It's it's offensive. Alright? And once you do that, then all of a sudden you have removed... What is sin? And I've talked to people before who profess to be Christians and ask them, what were you saved from? You know what's amazing? Many can't tell me. And that's astonishing to me. You don't know what you were saved from? You, you might want to figure that out. Just, just an idea. Why? Because that is where repentance comes from listen my sin makes me sick all right and yet as a shepherd i have to deal with everybody's but the one's that hurts me the most is mine I shared in our Sunday school this morning that when I first started preaching, I was always concerned that I wouldn't have a message together when Sunday came, and through prayer and preaching, God says, I'll give you the message. Just make sure that what you're saying is true about you. Because if not, then it's the height of hypocrisy. And you're like, eh, there's a cheery thought. You know <laughs> and who said I should do this for a living? But you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? That's the battle. I don't have to go find a demon to arm wrestle with. I can look in a mirror and see the adversary. Paul was dreading going back and what he would find. His love for these people was so strong that he, he couldn't believe that they had done it in the first place. Secondly, when he'd gone back for that surprise trip... They embarrassed him, and nobody in the church defended him. And he was crushed. He didn't want to experience that again. He was sick at his heart. He dreaded the thought of going back and finding these people acting like they were when he wrote 1 Corinthians. In chapter 2 of this letter, verse 1 but I determined this for my own sake. Now listen to what he says. I determined this for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again. He didn't want to experience that again. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is a true pastor. A true pastor. This is a faithful pastor. A true and faithful pastor is always concerned for the repentance of the people. All of them. You know why? Because the repentance of the people is what helps them reflect as a mirror. Remember that? 2 Corinthians 3.18 Behold as in a mirror of being transformed from glory to glory of the Lord. Remember eight eight 8.29 of Romans? You are being conformed into the image of? Christ, OK, how do you do that without without repenting from your sin? OK, see. One of the greatest evangelistic tools that a Christian has is a Christ life. OK, I mean, a lot of people don't come to Christ because they keep looking at Christians and saying people are idiots. Look at them. They're crazier than we are. And it's true. From the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor, in chapters two and three, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself repeatedly calls for repentance. And He warns of the consequences. Okay, chapter two, verse five, to the church in Ephesus. Therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. All right. Repent. Stop it. He warns Pergamum, chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, repent. Repent. Or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, if Jesus tells me he's coming to make war against me, I'm thinking about pay attention. What do you think? I don't want to fight him. The false prophetess at Thyatira, chapter 2, 21 and 22. I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Listen, you need to understand. He's writing to churches. These ain't cults or sex or false religions. He doesn't address them. He's writing to churches. Sardis chapter 3 verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know it at what hour I will come to you. Repent, or these are the consequences. Laodicea 319 to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and. Repent. OK, now listen, he rebuked five of the seven churches. Only two does he not tell them to repent. Now, listen, they were the faithful churches, church in Smyrna and church in Philadelphia. They were not called to repent. Now, I want to be specific about this. Alright? It's not because Smyrna and Philadelphia did not have members who were not sinning. Okay? That ain't what it's saying. But it was because they were repenting. Alright? Listen, if your conscience is judging you, then repent. Repent. Because that's the Holy Spirit in you saying, hey, I'm talking to you. When your conscience is bothering you, why do we try to rationalize it? But we do. Well, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. If you're, you've got the truth detector inside of you. Where are you going to get away from that one? It's not because their members weren't sinning. It was because when sin was there, it was dealt with, either on an individual basis or a collective basis. It was always dealt with it. See, Paul's call for repentance was basically nothing more than an echo of the Lord Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus said. But you know what? I kind of wandered around a little bit, and I found out that that's exactly what his father's was about. We see Jesus to the seven churches and in the gospel record, always dealing with them and saying, hey, you know, repent, boo. But what I found is, that's the Father. Book of Isaiah, chapter 57, verses 14 and 15. And it will be, be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with a contrite and lowly spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's repentance. That's repentance. 66, the same letter. Chapter 66, verse 2. For my hand made all things. Thus all things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. Now listen to what he says. To him who is humble and could try to spirit, who trembles at my word. I can't go away from repentance and not talk about the number one repenter in all of Scripture, King David. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Now, let's be, you know, when it, it comes to David, there's a piece of work. Okay? And yet, you know what? He repented. He repented. Listen, I'll give you a couple of things and I'll close this to those who would repent. Proverbs 28 verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions. Will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them. Will find compassion. First, John, chapter one, verse nine, I've already shared that one with you. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to what? Forgive his sins. See what's on the board for those who will repent. Okay. Those who fail to repent. They face discipline. Discipline. Guess what? Step two. That's the process of sanctification. What's its title? Discipline. And we'll start that next week. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power to repent. Thank You for being long-suffering with each and every one of us. Father, thank You for Your Word that, that strengthens us. Father, it convicts us. But Father, it does strengthen us. Father, it comforts us. It counsels us. Thank You. Lord, I pray, knowing that our enemy the liar, the father of lies, wants to keep us ignorant, keep us stupid. Father, I pray that each and every one of these people will rejoice in Your Word. As the psalmist says, the deer panting by the stream, Father, may we pant for Your Word, a thirst that can only be quenched when we are in Your presence. Lord, please, please help each and every one of us In these strange times that we are in, Father, let us be overwhelmed by Your presence to Your glory and to Your praise in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.